The following sermon is presented by Maranatha Bible Church of Comstock Park, Michigan. For more information, go to mbcmi.org. We're in the midst of a series this summer that we've entitled Marks of a Healthy Church Member, and we're taking some time this summer to look at what constitutes truly a, a healthy member of a church, a healthy, contributing, fully functioning member of a local church. The reason we're going through this is because the church is the most important organism on the planet. I don't think that's an understatement. The church is the single most important living entity on this planet. It's the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. And as the church, we have the highest calling in the world, which is to proclaim the gospel of Christ, to draw with the power of Christ, sinners to Christ, and then to see them sanctified and and living a life of bringing God glory and honor and praise and exaltation. That's why the church exists. The verse that you see when you walk into our foyer is Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, which says, "'Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church.'" and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And the reason we put that verse in the foyer is because we want to be unashamed about the fact that this church exists for the glory of God. And so that makes the church itself the single most important entity in the universe apart from God Himself. There's nothing more noble, there's nothing more important, and God desires that we as believers understand that the church is meant to be for our growth and for our sanctification. And all that takes place here within the body is meant to glorify Him. We could add to that the fact that the church has the greatest impact in the kingdom than anything else in this world. There are many other great organizations doing a great work, and we don't want to impugn them in any way. There's a lot of great gospel work being done and good things being done for societies and people, but we have to say unashamedly that the church is the primary place through which God wants to work. It is the primary vehicle by which He wants to accomplish His purposes, and so nothing takes the prominence of the church. And so, for for these reasons, we want to be a a healthy church. And so, we're looking at some of the marks of a healthy church member because our conviction is that healthy churches are made up of healthy church members. So, what are some of those? We've been looking at them for the last few weeks. We've looked at three so far. First, we said that uh, the first mark of a healthy church member is that they have a deep love for the bride of Christ. They love the church. They love the bride of Christ. They they love this entity, not just the walls or the structure, but they love the people. They love this this body of Christ, and they commit themselves to it despite all its problems, despite all of its flaws. They love the church. Mark number two is that a healthy church member has an insatiable hunger for the Word of God. They love the Scriptures. They love biblical preaching. They love the truth expounded. They love expository preaching. They love the teaching of the Word of God. They love the Word explained and illustrated and applied. They love the truth of God's Word, and they're here to hear that. They're not here to be entertained. They're not here to to laugh. They're not here to see a show. They're here to see and to hear the Word of God preached, explained, people exhorted, equipped, taught, what a healthy church member is. They're expository listeners, and they want to hear the Word of God proclaimed. 
Third mark, healthy church member demonstrates a strong commitment to the membership of the body, meaning they're committed to the membership. They're not, they're not just a tender. They're not just kind of on the fringe. That They're committed. They're involved. A, a healthy church member is exactly that. They're a church member. They're committed. They're involved. They're, they're, they've committed themselves to the church, the people, the leadership, and they've said that this is the place where I want to join and I want to be a part of this body and I'm going to fully commit myself to this entity known as the church. That's important because we can't just say, well, I'm a member of a universal church, so therefore I'm good to go. No, God has designed your participation in the universal church to be expressed in the local church. And so that's why church membership is crucial. Today I want to bring you to Mark number four. And Mark number four is that a healthy church member possesses a humble respect for the leaders of the church. That in a healthy church, there is a healthier relationship between leaders and members, between those who are a part of that church and the, those who shepherd and lead that body. There is this close relationship that takes place. And so really no discussion about a healthy church member can take place without discussing the relationship between leaders and members. We have to face the fact that members and their relationship to the leaders can make or break a church. It's an important issue. How a congregation receives, how a congregation deals with, how a congregation responds to its leaders has a direct effect upon the health and the life of that church. And so it's essential that we understand this relationship. It's not surprising then that the Bible actually has a lot to say about this. You might be surprised to learn that the Bible has a lot to say about how leaders and members of a church interact with each other. There's a lot of incredible, very specific instructions given in the Scriptures that deal with this very issue. And we must say at the beginning that a healthy church has an atmosphere or a culture where leaders are honored, where leaders are respected, and where leaders are appreciated. Now, here's what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. This sounds kind of self-serving. You're fishing for some compliments. I know what, this thing, what you're thinking, and I understand that because I would probably be thinking the same thing, that he's preaching on a topic that's going to make him look really good and all the leaders along with him. That, that's not my heart. And I trust you know my heart. I trust you understand my heart that it's truly to say, let, let's look at this relationship. I'm, and, and specifically, I'm not preaching on this topic because this is an issue at our church. It's not. In fact, it's the very opposite I know I speak on behalf of all of our elders and church leaders when I say we, uh, we know you appreciate the leadership. We know you appreciate the work that's done here. We know that you appreciate the shepherding and the, and the labor that goes into the leadership of this particular body. We know that. This is not an issue at our church. In fact, I can take you up into my office and I can show you a bulging folder in my files filled with notes from you. Thank you. It's a privilege and a joy to serve this body. And I know I say that on behalf of the elders as well. In my email folder on my email program, there is a file full of emails thanking me, thanking the elders, thanking the leaders of our church. And so it, it is a privilege and a joy to know that we're part of a, a church where this relationship is healthy. You make our job easy. And yet it's crucial for us to understand 
this topic and for us to address this topic because it's really the heart of a healthy church member. And by the way, I need to say this as well, that even though myself and the other leaders of the church are leaders, we're also members. We're members of the church. And so everything I'm going to tell you today is not just for you, it's for us as well as, as those who are both leaders and members of the body of Christ. All of us need to hear these truths. In fact, even me as the teaching pastor, I need to understand these principles because we function here at, at Maranatha as a plurality of elders. I'm not the senior pastor. It doesn't just go the way I want it to go. And I'll be real honest with you. There are times where decisions go a direction that I wouldn't think they would have gone or what I would not prefer them to go. And yet, as an elder, a fellow elder, a plurality of elders, I submit to the leadership of the elders. We function in unanimity, and if we don't have unanimity, we don't move forward. And so I respect the decisions the elders come to corporately, even though I'm one of them. And so what I'm going to tell you today and preach about today is, is, is as important to me as it is for all of us this morning. I want to look at some of the responsibilities, some of the attitudes and actions of a healthy church member as it relates to church leadership. But before I do that, I want to give you a caveat, and the caveat is this. If I were preaching to church leaders, I would be saying something different. I would be saying something to church leaders like, if you want to be respected church leaders, you need to be respectable. If you want to be honored and respected in your position of a leader, then you need to be honorable in your leadership, and you need to make sure that your life manifests the qualifications of an elder. You need to be above reproach. You need to be a man of integrity. You need to be a a one-woman man. You need to be gentle. You need to be kind. You need to be gracious. You need to be not self-willed. You need to be with a good reputation and loving what is good and sensible and self-controlled. You need to be all of those things if you want people to follow you. And so if I were preaching to church leaders, I would remind them of their responsibilities to pay attention to their life and their doctrine because there are biblical expectations for them as there are for those that they lead. Our topic this morning, though, is about the relationship of church members to their leaders. What does this look like? How does a healthy church member demonstrate a respect for the leaders of the church? I want to give you four attitudes this morning. Four attitudes which convey on the part of a church member a healthy respect or a humble respect for the leaders of the church. I'll give you four of them, and we're going to turn to some different passages this morning to look at these together. So let's look at the first one, the first attitude which conveys a humble respect for the leaders of the church is number one, an expression of appreciation. An expression of appreciation. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to start here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As we go through these, I would invite you to ask yourself, are these true of me? Are these attitudes, are these actions true of myself? An expression of appreciation. First Thessalonians chapter 5. You remember Thessalonian, the Thessalonian church was a respectable church. It was a model church in many cases. It was an example of what the church should be like in how they turned from idols to Christ. And they were a model example in many ways of what a healthy church looks like. And yet they needed some gentle encouragement and some gentle reminders of, of what it was like, specifically in the area of their relationship to their leaders. I want you to notice verses 12 and 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
Paul writes, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. These are some of the two best verses in all of the Scriptures to identify the relationship of the shepherds to the sheep and the sheep to the shepherds. You see both of them brought together in these two verses, the responsibilities and obligations of the shepherds to the church and the responsibility of the people then to those who lead them. I want you to notice, first of all, the responsibilities of the leaders. They're found in verses 12 and 13. There's three of them, and I want you to notice the first one in verse 12. He says, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. That's what God expects of all church leaders. Diligent labor, hard work. The word here is kapiao, which means to labor to the point of sweat, to labor to the point of exhaustion, to, to literally grow weary in your toil, to work to the point of great effort and great exertion, possibly even to the point of, of near exhaustion. That's the word kapiao, to diligently labor. It's hard work. God expects that church leaders work diligently. Pastoral ministry is not for the faint of heart. It's not for those who just want some title or some recognition or some honor that comes with the position. That's not what pastoral ministry about, is about at all. It is about hard, diligent labor that goes into all of the work of the ministry, from proclaiming the gospel, to shepherding people, to teaching the word, to leading the church, to, to admonishing people and counseling people. And by the way, that work is never done, ever. It's never done. There's always more people. There's always more shepherding. There's always more decisions. There's always more leadership that needs to be addressed and taken care of. That work is never done. And it requires, because of that, diligent labor and hard work and spiritual sweat, sometimes to the point of exhaustion. That's what's expected of church leaders. It's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week responsibility. And you need to know that your leaders here do exactly that. They are hard workers. They're diligent laborers, and they're up early, and they're up late, and they're, they're, they're shepherding, and they're meeting, and they're discussing, and they're, they're, they're dealing with people, and they're caring for people, and they're ministering to people. They're not bored, not B-O-R-E-D, but B-O-A-R-D, elders. They're not bored elders. They're actually not B-O-R-E-D either because there's a lot of stuff going on. But they're not bored elders. They're not just decision makers. They're actually in the trenches. Trenches. They're in with the sheep. They're doing the work of the ministry and the privilege and the joy that comes with that. But that requires a robust constitution. It takes hard work. Notice, secondly, what the responsibility of church leaders are. Verse 12, he goes on to say, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who labor diligently among you and have charge over you in the Lord. That's what church leaders do as well. They have charge over you. They have an authority over you. There is a responsibility, and with that responsibility comes an authority or a charge over you in the Lord. God has so designed church leadership, that he has designed church leaders and elders to be in a position of authority in the Lord. You can see that in verse 12. So they then function as Christ's under-shepherds. 
They function in oversight. They, they give direction. They, they have charge. They have responsibility. They make decisions. They promote the unity of the body. They help people in the difficulties of life. They work for the greater sanctification of the body. This is what elders do and pastors do and shepherds do and leaders do. They not only work diligently, but they give charge. They have charge. They're, they're essentially overseers of the flock. 1 Peter 5, verse 2. Peter says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Leadership requires oversight. Acts 20, verse 28, Paul says, be on guard for yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So God in his infinite wisdom has placed within the church leaders who are given an authority to have charge over the people that they shepherd. There's a third responsibility. You can see it in verse 12 as well. They give you instruction. Church leaders not only diligently labor, and they not only have charge over you, but they also give you instruction. And that gets to the heart of what leaders do within the church. They are teachers. They're instructors. They, they bear the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, in order to shepherd the body with the authority of God through His Word, not their own authority. And so they're teachers, they're instructors, they, they give instruction. The word here is nuthateo, they admonish, they correct, they rebuke, they train in righteousness. The idea here is teaching with exhortation or, or instruction with rebuke or preaching with admonishment. The idea here is that the Word of God is meant to, to rub us and correct us, and the Word of God is then in the hands of the leaders in order to lovingly and graciously shepherd and lead the church in the areas of their lives they need to grow in through the teaching of the Word. That's why Paul says, 2 Timothy 4, preach the Word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, he says to Timothy, these things that you have heard from me and trust to faithful men who will then be able to teach others also. Ephesians 4.11 and 12 says that gifted men like apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers are given to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Leaders teach. In fact, did you know that the only qualification in the qualification of elders that's not a character qualification is this one? They are to teach. They're to be able to teach. They're to be men of character, but in addition to that, they have to have the skill and the ability to bear the Word of God in a way that will admonish and correct and train in righteousness the people whom they are shepherding and leading. And so these are the responsibilities of church leaders, diligent labor, Oversight, instruction, that's hard work. That's kingdom work. What does God say to those to whom all of that is to be done for? That's the point of our text here, verse 12 and 13. We request of you, brethren, now watch this, that you appreciate those who labor diligently among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work and live in peace with one another. 
So there are three very clear, specific instructions about what leaders are to do in the church. And likewise, there's also three very clear instructions here about what those members of the churches that they're leading are to do. And I want you to notice those first. I want you to notice verse 12. He says that you're to appreciate those who diligently labor among you. You appreciate them. You recognize them. You literally know them. It's the word oida, which means to know and that you recognize. It's not this that you say, well, oh yeah, I know that. that. That guy, he's one of the leaders. No, it's not that. It's that you recognize the fact that they are the men who are diligently laboring and they are uh, doing the oversight work and they are doing the work of instructing and teaching. And because of that, you would then give them the appreciation and the respect that is due them. A healthy church member knows their leaders. A healthy church member knows who they are and understands the work that they're engaged in, and so they're quick to to appreciate, they're quick to express their gratitude, they're quick to engage in an attitude of thankfulness for their ministry to the church. I have never worked with sheep, but I hear that sheep sometimes are hard to work with. They'll step on your toes with their sharp hooves, and sometimes they'll fall over, and you got to pick them back up. And sometimes they, they will kind of nip at you, and sometimes they get dirty, and sometimes they wander away, and they get really nervous around loud noises. And so sheep are not the easiest animals to work with. And we're all sheep. And Paul understands that. And he says sometimes the church sheep can be difficult. And so those of you who are in the church, who are being lovingly shepherded and cared for by the the leaders, you're you're to appreciate them. You're to express an attitude of thankfulness for for their work. And you can do that by, by just making their job easy, by making it possible for them to lovingly lead and lovingly shepherd you by by not making it more difficult than it already is. So he says you need to appreciate those who labor among you. And then notice in verse 13, there's another one, that you esteem them very highly in love. You esteem them very highly in love. You, you esteem, meaning you regard them or you think about them in such a way that you express your high affection for them. You esteem them very highly. And that's a word, a very uh, descriptive word that means beyond measure. Beyond all measure, in an overflowing measure, you are to express your attitude of thankfulness and gratitude for those who diligently labor and shepherd and lead and instruct. He has in mind here the highest degree of respect imaginable. Notice he says that you're to esteem them very highly in love. You're not just to esteem them for their position. You're not just to esteem them and respect them in a way that's kind of cold and and distant. You're to respect them in love. You're to appreciate them in love. You're to have an open-hearted love for them. And the word love is agape. It's the word that means self-sacrificial love. You're, You're to understand that they are sacrificing in their leadership, and you likewise manifest a heart of sacrificial love for them in their work that they've been given to do by the Lord. You esteem them highly. I want you to notice the end of verse 13. Because of their work. 
not because of their personality or, or not just because of who they are, but because of their work, because of, of what they do, because of the sacrificial service that they then give to the church, you're to, to express an attitude of appreciation to them for their labor, for their shepherding, for their instruction. It's because of the nature of the work that should garner an attitude of appreciation. So, Paul is very clear here. You appreciate them. You esteem them in love. Lastly, verse 13, you live in peace with one another. It's in the context of church leadership, church member relationships. It's true we all should, as believers, live in peace with one another, but the context here is is the context of relationships between leaders and members. And so the idea here is that leaders should lead in such a way that it makes the members want to follow and come under that, and members should then come under their leadership in such a way that it's a peaceable relationship between them, not filled with conflict, not filled with strife, not filled with discord, not filled with all kinds of criticism and bucking of the leadership, Paul says, no, you need to follow in such a way so that peace results. I think most of us could probably tell stories about churches where this hasn't been the case, where churches have been filled with backbiting and and discordant members and conflict amongst the people, which is then leveled against the leaders. And we're all familiar with churches maybe that have come apart of the seams because of that. And I wonder, would some of that have been prevented if the members fulfilled the obligations and instructions that Paul has given here? That's not to get leaders off the hook. Clearly, I understand that leaders have a responsibility here and leaders have an obligation to ensure that their leadership is kind and gracious and loving and gentle and all that goes into being a gracious shepherd of the flock. And yet, Paul is very clear here that members are to appreciate, to esteem, and to live in peace with their leaders. So, an expression of appreciation. This is one of the marks or attitudes that convey a humble respect for the leaders of the church. Let me show you number one. Number two, there's a second attitude which conveys a respect for the leaders of the church. It's a willingness to follow. A willingness to follow. A healthy church member is willing to be in a position where they allow themselves to be led and where they look to the leaders as their examples and they imitate them by their example. So there is this followership. There is this willingness to to engage not only in the direction that the leaders set, but also a willingness to come under their leadership and follow their example of their conduct. Church leaders then are called to be an example worth following. The leaders of a church, the elders, the deacons, the leaders who engage in the direction of that church are the people who are then to model the kind of conduct and the kind of behavior that the church should then follow. Someone as well said that our leaders are the motion picture of following Christ. I like that. If you're a leader in the church, your life is to be a motion picture. You're to be able to to, to set the example and say to the people in the church that you're leading, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what happens. All throughout Scripture, we see many examples of Paul saying exactly that. Let me give you some examples here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, Be 
imitators of me. And then the same thing, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Now think about this. Paul is saying to the the people in Corinth, he says, I want you to model your life after me. Well, that sounds kind of arrogant, doesn't it? No, it's not. Here's why. Because Paul is following Christ. Because Paul's model is Christ, and Paul has the the passion and the desire to make sure that his life conforms to that of Christ. He wants to please Christ. His ambition is to honor Christ, and he wants to make sure that that Christ is his ultimate example. And so because of that, he can say to the people that he's leading, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what every leader should be able to say. Philippians 3 Verse 17, he says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. Philippians 4, 9, the things that you've heard and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So church leaders should be able to say to the church that they're leading, hey, follow us. We've got our eyes on Christ We're seeking His will, His desire, His passion for this church. We want to please Christ, and because that's our passion, follow us. That's what elders are supposed to do. 1 Peter 5, verse 3, Peter says, You're not to be lording it over those allotted to your charge, but you're proving to be examples to the flock. Examples, tupoi, types, patterns. You're You're to be elders, patterns or examples of the people to follow. And the reason for that is because much more is caught than it's taught. You know this, parents. You understand that your kids pick up as much, if not more, by what you do than by by what you say. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. And you see them doing things that you, oh, I taught them to do that? This is terrible. Much is caught as it is taught. And that principle is true in the church as well, that that church leaders are to be the example, or to be the model of what godliness looks like, of what Christ-likeness looks like. And so they should be able to say to the church members, hey, follow us, follow us because we're pursuing Christ. Let me show you an example. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. The writer of Hebrews, we don't entirely know who that was. But the writer of Hebrews has given this very specific instruction in verse 7. He says the same thing. He says in verse 7, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and concerning the outcome, considering the outcome of their life, imitate their faith. So you see what he's saying? He's saying, you who are leaders, there there are leaders amongst you, you need to, to remember them. Doesn't tell us exactly who they are, are that who they are. Presumably they were the elders in that church. And he writes to the people and he says, make sure you remember them. Perhaps they've passed away at this point. Remember them. Remember those who led you. That's what pastors, elders, deacons, church leaders do. They, they lead, they guide, they direct, they give oversight. Remember those who, who led you and who spoke the word of God to you. Again, that's the heart of a pastor. It's the heart of a church leader is biblical instruction. Remember those who preached. Remember those who taught you. Remember those who led you. Now watch this. And considering, thinking about, 
the outcome of their way of life imitate their faith. Huh. Church leaders are to lead, they're to, to teach, they're to instruct, they're to teach the Word of God. But those who, to whom they do those things, the members of the church, they are to consider the outcome of their way of life. They're to look at those leaders. They're to study them. They're to engage them and, and see what makes them up, to see what comprises their character, to see how they respond to life. You're to study leaders. You're to put your, your, your eyes on them, in a sense, and observe them and see how they live and make note of their conduct and pay attention to their character and see how they respond to all the, the issues of life and ministry. And you watch them closely. I'll tell you, this puts a huge premium on leaders. It puts a huge responsibility on leaders but that's how God's designed it. And the church needs to look at those leaders and say, hey, that's how they responded to that, and that's how they responded to that trial in their life. And you need to consider their lives, and you need to watch them, and you need to see how they respond to all these different situations, and then you need to emulate them. You need to imitate their faith. The reason for that is it's hard to imitate a principle, but it's easy to imitate a person. Very difficult to imitate a principle, but you can see a person who's living out that principle and you can imitate them. I've told you before about John Smith in my life, a man whom God used mightily to help me understand what it means to be a godly man. And My wife and I had been married for just a few months and we moved to Spokane and for the first few months of our marriage, she was... Uh, at times frustrated with me because she wanted me to be a spiritual leader. Can you imagine? I mean, how, how ridiculous is this? I'm kidding. She wanted me to be a spiritual leader. She wanted me to, to love her and serve her and lead her spiritually. And I had no idea what that meant. I hadn't seen it. I didn't know what that looked like. And she's wanting me to be something that, that I don't know I should be. And God brought John into my life. And he let me see what godliness looks like in a marriage, what spiritual leadership looks like in the home, to see what spiritual leadership in the church looks like. I couldn't imitate a principle. I didn't know what it meant to be, go be a spiritual leader, but I could see John doing it. I could model my life after him and I could imitate him. And that's the issue here is God has designed the church to be a place where you imitate the faith, the conduct of those who are in a position of leadership. And maybe you're here this morning and you haven't been raised in a godly home. Maybe you've never seen what a godly marriage looks like, or maybe you've never seen what a healthy Christian life looks like. Maybe this is all new and, and you're trying to figure out, what does this look like and how am I supposed to live the Christian life? I don't even know what the, where to start. Well, God has given church leaders to be a model for you, an example for you, and healthy church leaders will then surround themselves with those kind of leaders and they'll want to imitate their faith. That's how you show respect. It's how you demonstrate a heart of appreciation. So first of all, there's this expression of appreciation. Secondly, there's this willingness to follow. And let me give you a third one. There's a third attitude which should convey the humble respect for church leaders. It's a heart of submission. It's a heart of submission. I want you to look down at verse 17 of chapter 13. You're in Hebrews 13 right now. I want you to look down to verse 17. And it's there that the writer of Hebrews gives us some more instructions. 
He says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Do you notice how that verse starts? Obey your leaders. Submit to them. Now, you know as well as I do that those are not good words today. Uh, Those are bad words in our culture, in our society. You don't say obey. You don't say submit. God does. God has no trouble saying that. God has no problem at all saying that church members are to, in their respect for their church leaders, obey them and submit to them. Now, I know that sounds authoritarian, and I know that sounds harsh, and I know that sounds like those men could easily abuse that, and certainly that has happened. But if you put the right men in leadership, qualified, gentle, gracious, humble shepherds, if you have the right man, men in those positions of leadership, then this authority will not be abused. And so the writer of Hebrews understands that, and so he says, make sure you, you obey them, make sure you submit yourself to them, and the idea here is you, you rank yourself under their authority, like a soldier would the commanding officer. This is the way God has designed it. God has designed the church to be led by men who meet out the authority of Christ. God has designed the church to be led by those who are His ambassadors, His representatives, those who function in His stead. So God has designed the church to be led by elders, to pastors or church leaders, and the church is then expected to, to come up under that and obey and submit to that leadership. Nowhere in Scripture will you see a congregation told to rule over its elders. But in many cases, you'll see elders told to lovingly rule and given charge over those within the church. Now, notice verse 17. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls. They keep watch over your souls. You understand what church leaders do? They are shepherds. They keep watch. And the word keep watch means to be sleepless, to be awake. Church leaders are vigilant. And they're vigilant about the care and the spiritual condition of the people within their church. That's why I said they're not bored elders. They're not just figureheads making decisions for a church. No, they are shepherd elders. And as shepherd elders, they they keep watch over the souls of those within their church. And they're alert and they're attentive to anything that will destroy the integrity of the church or the spiritual life of those within it. It's hard work. Church leaders watch for people who are straying. Church leaders stay alert to any false teaching that should permeate the church. Church leaders stay alert to any disunity or division within the church. Church leaders are alert to those who are caught in sin. It's what church leaders do. They watch over your souls. They care for you. And they're concerned for your spiritual health and integrity. That's why don't ever be threatened if 
if an elder asks how you're doing. Don't ever be threatened if someone calls and says, hey, we haven't seen you for a while. It's what elders do. They watch over, they they exercise oversight, they keep watch vigilantly over the care of the church, over the spiritual condition of the church. And the reason they do that, look at verse 13, it says, verse 17 rather, it says that they must give an account for this. I'll tell you, that verse keeps me up at night. That verse keeps me up at night. Because this is serious stuff. The congregation is never held accountable for the soul care of the body, but the elders are, the leaders are. And they will have to one day stand before the Lord to give an account for the souls within the flock. They have to stand before the Lord one day to give a record of how well they've cared for the church. And that's a serious obligation and responsibility. And so frequently I'm wondering, how are we doing? Have we done this faithfully? Have we dropped the ball on someone? Has someone fallen through the cracks? Have we not shepherded someone well? Are we missing something here? Because I don't want to stand before the Lord one day and have him say, well, you really dropped the ball on them. Church leaders must give an account someday for how they cared for the souls of their people. For that reason... The writer says you need to obey them. You need to submit to them. Not only that, but look at verse 17. You need to do this with joy. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Listen, the reason you show respect to church leaders is partly for their joy and partly for your joy. That's what what the writer's saying. You should submit to church leaders because it makes their job joyful. It makes their, 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 their responsibility and the fact that they will give account one day, it makes it a little bit more enjoyable. It makes it more palatable. It makes it more, more a, a joy for them. And so the joy of our church leaders should be the motivation for our submission to them. That's what he says. It should be done with joy and not with grief. How do you bring grief to church leaders? Criticism, conflict, begrudging submission, stubbornness, self-willed. All of that brings grief to the leaders of the church. I can't tell you how many pastors I've talked to over the years who are so discouraged. I have friends who have been run out of churches. I have a friend in Oregon who was run out of his church. I have another friend who was run out of his church, and he's now in Canada. I have a friend who was run out of his church in Ohio. 50% of pastors will not last five years in the ministry. One in ten pastors retires in the ministry. Only 23% of pastors report being happy and content. 1,700 pastors quit the ministry every month in America. There are 4,000 churches that begin every year in our country, and there are 7,000 churches that close every year in our country. 
40% of pastors report serious conflict with a church member at least once a month. And you want to know the number one reason why people quit the ministry? Number one reason is because church people are not willing to go the same direction as the pastor. Now, there could be issues on the pastor's part. I understand that. There could be issues on the leadership's part. There clearly could be some, some wrong doctrine and wrong philosophy. I understand that. But bottom line is the number one reason people leave the ministry is because people won't go the direction of the pastors want to take them. Now, they should be taking them in a way that's honoring to Christ in a way that promotes their own sanctification and growth. But regardless, those are some scary statistics. God has called church members, verse 17, to obey and submit to their leaders because leaders are a representative of God's authority. They must give an account for their leadership, and they should be able to do this with joy. And remember I said it's also for your joy as well. Look at the end of verse 17. For this would be unprofitable for you. Listen, you want to... You want to have a smile on your face in the body of Christ? You come under the leadership of the church. Because if you don't, if, if, if you make it difficult, if, you, if you're lacking submission, if you're having a heart that's critical and you're begrudging in your submission to the leadership, then you actually become the losers. Because you don't benefit then from the shepherding, the love, the care, the instruction, and all that goes along with godly leaders who lovingly serve the body of Christ. So it's not only for their joy, it's for your joy as well. There's a fourth, and we'll close with this. A fourth attitude that conveys a heart of humble submission to church leaders is a commitment to pray. A commitment to pray. One of the best ways you can demonstrate a heart of respect to your church leaders is to pray for them. Look at verse 18. You're in Hebrews 13. Look at verse 18. The writer says, pray for us. For we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. He says, pray for us. I want to respect, honor, appreciate those in church leadership, you you pray for them. You pray for them. Every church leader has a target on their back. And the reason for that is because Satan knows that if he can take down a church leader, it affects not just that church leader, it affects a whole church. So every church leader, every elder, every deacon, every pastor, every someone in leadership in a church is walking around with a bullseye on their back. You need to pray for them. You need to pray. Colossians chapter 4, Paul says this, verses 2 to 4, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word, that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I've been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Paul says to the Colossians, pray for me. Please, please pray for me that I'll be able to speak forth the Word of God with truth. Ephesians 6, verses 19 and 20. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 25. Brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. A healthy church member prays for their leadership. 
A healthy church member prays for their leaders to walk with the Lord. A healthy church member prays that they will be protected from temptation and sin. A healthy church member prays for the leader's family. A healthy church member prays for their teaching. A healthy church member prays for their physical health. I'll be honest with you, one of the most encouraging things someone could ever say to me is, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. So these are, these are some of the ways a church leadership and church membership work together. And it's mutual. I know today we've, we've focused on the church members, but it's mutual. The leaders have an obligation. The leaders have a responsibility to be the men that God has called them to be, to faithfully serve the flock. And when that's in place, then the, leader, the uh, members can then come up under that, obey, submit, lovingly appreciate, express their appreciation, express their affection, to love them, to then pray for them and model their lives after them. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for being a church that does it this way. Thank you for being a church that's easy to lead. And thank you for making our job as church leaders that much more easy. It would be appropriate for you today to find a church leader, to give them a hug or a handshake, and to tell them thank you for, for your ministry to our church. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that your word has given even instructions in these relationships. We thank you, Father, that your word is so sufficient that it's able even to cover an area of the church that we normally don't think about. And so, Lord, we thank you for these clear instructions. May we all as church members respond in love and appreciation affection, and a heart of gratitude for those who diligently labor among us. We thank you for our church leaders. We thank you for their service. We thank you for their shepherding. And we thank you for their loving care. And may they know how grateful we are for the work that they do amongst us. We praise you for these things in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon presented at Maranatha Bible Church in Comstock Park, Michigan, where we exist to display God's glory, declare God's truth, delight in God's Son, and disciple God's people. No part of this digital file may be reproduced or distributed without prior written consent. For permission, go to mbcmi.org.